Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Mark. Today's guests make me want to do this podcast outdoors. That's because I'm joined by Tim Lee and Susan Bauer Lee from the band Bark. When we recorded this, they were just hanging outside on a beautiful Mississippi evening. And the way this band came together is really wild. Actually, the way the previous band, the Tim Lee Three, came together is wild. Bark was just the natural progression of that. Tim grew up with church music all over the place as his dad was a minister, and Susan's first concert was The Monkees with The Who opening up. Or at least that's what she's been told. Tim has been in bands since the 80s like Let's Active and Marty Jones, but took a decade off during the 90s and went back to school. He reactivated his career during the early 2000s, and Susan quickly joined him after she woke up one morning and told Tim that she was going to learn to play bass guitar. In six months, she was playing in a band. She did the same thing with drums. And oh yeah, she sings at the same time too. Bark was formed to kind of simplify things. But the music isn't simple. And it's so good, it's won awards. Bark is Tim and Susan, and that's really it. And they have a new album out, aptly titled Loud. We talk about the journey to get from Beat Temptation to Bark and what they're doing differently, if anything, with this new album. So check them out at bark-loud.com to order the album and get their social media links. Follow them and us on Instagram. We're at PerformanceANX there and on X. And they're at bark.timlee3. You can support us too when you go to ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety to send us coffee money go to performanceanx.threadless.com to check out our new logo design and now it might get loud on a beautiful mississippi evening with bark on performance anxiety on the pantheon podcast network (laughs) awesome um okay hey y'all he's tim i am I thought I was Susan. No, I'm, I'm Susan. I'm, You're Tim. Hi, I'm Tim. <laughs> uh, we're, we're Bark. We're Bark. And um, this is the per- Performance Anxiety Podcast. So I'm changing my name to Tim Performance Anxiety Podcast. And I'm going to be Susan Performance Anxiety Podcast Lee. And we're going to be Performance Anxiety Podcast Bark. Sweet. So there, <laughs> it, all comes, it all comes together. How you doing? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Man, looks nice out there. Sun's still it out. Is. <laughs> Somewhat. Slightly, yeah. It's black where I'm. At. I'm in Virginia, so it's dark right now oh eastern time zone yeah 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 it's i hate when it starts to get dark too early yeah i know and it's headed that direction yeah yep it'll be it'll be here also soon enough yeah Yeah. (laughs) well i wanted to thank you guys for hopping on with me tonight that's it's really wonderful to have you guys thank you i have been enjoying 
finding you guys actually because I, I went back and I started listening to some of the older albums and all and it's really cool stuff man you guys are really awesome thanks but I wanted to start off finding out a little bit about how we got to this point so I want to go back and figure out how you guys got into music in the first place how it made such an impact on you and I think what we'll do is I'll start off with with Tim because he's the one I found the most history on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I have a longer history. <laughs> and, I, have, I have none history. <laughs> well, that's what my she, history is minimal. That's one thing that fascinates me because I did read some really interesting stuff, and I want to find out more about it. But we'll go as, as as chronologically, I guess, as we can. It doesn't have to be, you know, strictly chronological. But you know, we'll, we'll start off there and we'll see where it goes. It's very sure. pretty casual. So, cool. so this, this will be for a question kind of for both of you, I guess, to start off with Tim, I'll, I'll point it to you first. How did you get into music in the first place? Was there a, a, was it a big influence in the house when you were growing up? Was there a lot of it going on or was that something that you kind of found on your own? I did grow up in a fairly musical family. Everybody was a good singer, but me, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> But, you know, I, I mean... Church I, singing. Yeah, well, you know, my dad was a minister, so there was a lot of church singing and stuff. But, you know, my brother, my older brother is a really good singer, and my sisters were good singers, and one of my sisters was a good piano player, and my dad's an amazing singer. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm that age where I grew up with rock and roll, pop music, whatever. You know, the family gathered around the TV when the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan, and I was really small, but I really, you know, it's, that really struck me. Yeah. So then my older brothers and sisters all, you know, they had 45s around the house, Rolling Stones, Beach Boys. And so I was always listening to this stuff. And of course, Top 40 Radio, and when I was a kid, was really amazing because it would be country minute, music one minute, and soul music the next. And yeah you know, it could be anything. And so I just, I, I just grew up hearing a lot of music and was pretty much completely eaten up with it from an early age. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and when I was like 10, my older brother brought home all these albums one day and, and they were like, you know, Hendrix and Dylan and cream and stuff. And, oh, wow. and it, he was a teenager. He was gone all the time. So I had nothing to do but sit around the room and listen to these records. It, it was quite an education. And I got, really fascinated by like the words on Dylan records and stuff and trying to figure out oh, what the hell that was all about. Yeah. Hey, I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So imagine a 10 year old, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool. And about I got to junior high, you know, all of my friends were into music. I, you know, so it was kind of a, a super fascination thing. And, but my family moved around a lot because of my dad was a minister. And okay. so I spent a lot of time on my own. And so I ended up, you know, music ended up being like a real personal thing. Like something really was, you know, that was my friend was music. Oh, wow. And so I really enjoyed digging up music that other people didn't listen to. So, you know, in Mississippi in the seventies, you know, my friends were not listening to the New York dolls and they were yeah. not listening to Velvet Underground. And, <laughs> and and I was, you know, I mean, I was listening to Thin Lizzy and Leonard Skinner like them, but I was also listening to stuff that none of them knew about. And that was, that was my favorite stuff. That was like my music, you know, but. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And when I was 13 or so, this kid moved in our neighborhood that had a, a guitar and an amp, like the cheapest ones you could possibly get. But, you know, it made an unholy racket. So we were all like, <laughs> whoa. And, you know, so that was it for me. I had, I had to play guitar. You know, anything that was that annoying sounding, I had to be involved <laughs> in Had you taken any <laughs> other uh, instrument lessons before this, or was that your first instrument? No, that was it. And, then there were, wow. you know, fortunately, somebody had given my older brother a guitar, and it was in the back of the closet. And I pulled it out. It didn't have a bridge. only had three strings. And... <laughs> My dad, being the saint that he is, took me down to Skeets McWilliams Guitar Shop, and they got that thing. I won't say it was playable, but it was sort of playable. It was better than and, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, I was all about it, you know. And it's, you know, couldn't 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 put it down after that. Oh wow! So when did you start playing out with people? I mean, and and was music basically what you decided to do at that point, or, or was was there uh, 
an aha moment where you're like, oh, this is this is it. You know, it was a weird thing because I started playing with other people a couple of years after I started playing. And I was 14, 15, whatever. And, you know, and that's magic when you start playing music with other people and there's that interaction that that's the magic of music to me. And so that was really cool. But it's like, you know, like every bunch of teenagers, we sat around talking about the bands we were going to start and we were going to do this. We were going to do that. We were going to call it this and blah, blah, blah. We we're going to play these songs. And, and I just kind of figured out after a while that if I was ever going to be in a band, I just had to do it. And yeah. so I, you know, went out and booked a gig and next thing you know, we were a band. <laughs> So, but, you know, growing up in Jackson, Mississippi, you know, there was no original music. So everybody came up through cover bands and stuff. But yeah, that was also the era that, you know, the sort of American independent music scene started happening in the late 70s. All of a sudden there were, you know, you started seeing those television singles and Patti Smith singles and, you know, oddball singles from punk bands in Texas or whatever. Right. And, you know, then, you know, bands from North Carolina, Sneakers and people like that and it was you know really ins you know inspiring to like okay you can do that and you know if you went out of town to new orleans to see a band you know if you went to see i don't know marshall crenshaw or rem or something there was some local band opening that was playing you know 40 minutes of original music and it was just like that was the aha moment moment was like oh other people do it why can't i yeah you know? okay <laughs> We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Before you skip over this ad, give me one minute. Like most podcasts, I pick sponsors carefully and I use the products that advertise here. Pure Spectrum CBD is a product that has been really beneficial for me. They have a wide variety of great products that can be used on a daily or as needed basis. I've been using the tincture every day and it's been wonderful for easing anxiety. And I absolutely love the isolate. I use it instead of acetaminophen or ibuprofen. And it's worked so well for the relief of aches and pains. They also have soaks, lotions, salves, gummies, and more. Plus, an entire line for fitness recovery. They even have products for your pets. See everything they offer at PureSpectrumCBD.com. And if you have questions, they're there to help. They helped me when I had no idea where to start. After you fill your cart, use code PERFORMANCEANX for 15% off your purchase. Pure Spectrum CBD. Pure Spectrum CBD, Pure Spectrum CBD. And kind of coming back to my little community and going like, I'm not doing the cover band thing anymore. And I'm all going, how are you going to get paid? You'll like, never make any money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, never picked up a guitar because I thought I'd make a dollar. I picked up a guitar because it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, Susan, what about you? Was, was music a big factor in your life early on? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I listened to a lot of music, you know, um, my, my very first concert ever was, was, uh, seeing the monkeys. Oh, wow. I was, I was nine years old and my friend was eight years old and our moms took us up to the Enorma Dome in the big city and got us in our seats. And then they went and sat in the car and left us in there by ourselves. Oh like God. nobody would do that now. No. <laughs> oh my God. This, this wasn't the, uh, the famous tour where Jimi Hendrix opened, was it? No, but. The Who opened. The Who opened, apparently. Oh. I have no memory of it. Because David Jones was not in The Who. Oh, well, yeah. I, so, I get it. Yeah. I mean, you can see where I'm coming from at that point. Um, but, you know, and I took piano lessons as a kid, but, you know, my piano teacher never would let me play like popular music or anything. So no I, last train to Clarksville for you. Yeah, but I got, I got bored with it. So I quit piano lessons, but I didn't pick up anything else because it never really seemed like an option for, okay. for me, you know, in a small town in South Mississippi. And it literally was not until about 20 years ago, I woke up one morning, a Saturday morning, like lightning had struck me. And I turned to Tim and I said, I want to learn how to play bass. And he got up, didn't say a word, got up, walked out the door, went to the pawn shop, bought me a cheap little Odano and brought it home and started teaching me how to play bass. In wow. six months, I was playing in his band. That's incredible. Yeah. That is absolutely incredible. <laughs> oh my but I mean, you know, the, you know, after we got married, we were going all over the place to see music. You know, we sort of from from where we were living in Jackson and then, you know, we eventually moved to Atlanta a couple of times and, and okay. you know, just stuff like that. Just seeing a lot of really cool people. And, you know, and then when we were in Jackson, we started because we realized that they all had to come through Jackson if they're going from New Orleans to Memphis or, mm. you know, um, Dallas to um, Atlanta or something like that. Yeah. They all had to come through Jackson. So we started booking some bands and through that we got, we still have lifelong friends from that. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. So that, that, so that cool. was really huge for me. Yeah. Tim, at what point did you start recording? I mean, I was looking at what you've done in the past. I've listened to Beat Temptation, which ripped man especially that solo at the end of the talk <laughs> wow Man, that is awesome. Beat still gets together and plays every now and then. Really? Yeah, yeah. Those are still some of my best friends. Oh, that is so, awesome. Yeah. That album was so cool. <laughs> I really enjoyed listening to that. That was great. And, and you moved on from, from Beat Temptation to, to playing with Mitch Easter in, in Windbreakers, right? It all was kind of mixed up together at okay. the same time. Yeah, um, I, I was looking at the dates and all, and it seems like there's a lot of overlap at that point. There was very much, but we, uh, you know, like once I decided I was going to do original music, you know, that's what I, that was the goal was to make one of those little seven inch records, like, you know, all those <laughs> cool bands had already done. Yeah. And so we, we, we did, you know, the first Windbreakers record in like 1982 or something. And I wish that I could ask that girl to dance Well, I tried to call her on the telephone But I had to hang it up Cause my hands were shaking and my heart was aching I didn't have the nerve But I see that girl, she's walking down the street I want to talk, but I think she got people to meet And I wish that and, um, she would we... You know, and that was really early on in the American independent scene, you know, but it was... So we did that one. We did a second EP that we recorded with Mitch Easter, and that, and we got to be friends with him. It was you know, 
this was again really early on it was probably 1983 or something we had done the first record and recorded in this terrible studio that was like not a great experience and but we knew Mitch because he had a connection to the DBs and stuff because he was in sneakers and yeah he also he, we heard some solo tracks that he did on a uh, some New York compilation and and so we were kind of fascinated with him and then like one day I read that he had a recording studio so we we literally called Winston Salem directory assistance and yeah like, <laughs> called him up and we're like hey Rubes from Mississippi hey we want to record. <laughs> And he was great. And it's like the first time we went up there, we recorded two songs mixed and everything out the door, like over like 24 hours, like nonstop. And, uh, but it was such a great experience because this was a guy that knew how to make cool signing records. And he was completely willing to go down any path we wanted to go and, and knew how to do every crazy idea that we had in mind. And so it just really, taught me if nothing else that making records was fun it's really cool because the sound between uh beat temptation and the windbreakers way different sounds for each band it's amazing very different and and again it's who you're working with with the windbreakers it was usually you know me and bobby sutliff and and the power pop thing was very much bobby's milieu and he was you know really really good at it but you know he kind of had a singular path he took with music with very little strain, you know, some of strain, but not a lot. And then, but I was never content to just focus on one thing. So I just felt like, you know, I could learn a lot more if I tried a bunch of different things. Well, and then in the case of Beat Temptation, it was just literally those people, uh, Bruce and Sherry and Robin, when we get together, it's you know the craziest group of people you've ever met. You know? <laughs> we, we bring we bring it out in each other in, in a really good way. Well, so that that brings up a question, and it, it's about the Windbreakers and the band name because I'm I'm just is the name based on a, a jacket or is it a fart joke? <laughs> it's a bad joke that stuck. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby and I were in different bands at one time and somehow we got together to play at like a house party or something. And as a joke, we called it the windbreakers. And then that just somehow stuck. And, uh, yeah, I love stories like that. Something, yeah. Some things you never live down. (laughs) (laughs) And then you ended up playing with a lot of really cool people. We played with Let's Active, Marty Jones, uh, Swimming Pool Cues, but when did that start happening? Was that around the same time when you started going on the road with other people, or was that a little bit later? That's right. The, you know, the, the Let's Active thing happened because, you know, we've been recording with Mitch, and and he and I hit it off really well, and, you know, we're still good friends, but he, you know, they put out their first full-length album, Cypress, and, and it had parts because, you know, they were a three-piece band, and but the record had, like, keyboards and extra guitars and stuff. Yeah. So, basically, I went along to play all those parts. So, and that kind of led to the Marty Jones thing, and and then, you know, the swimming pool cues thing, because we lived in and out of Atlanta. I knew them, and they needed a bass player for a three-week tour, and it turned into two years. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah, is you know, and I was... And I love, you know, collaborating with different people. So it was it was a natural thing for me when I wasn't doing the Windbreakers or solo records or something yeah. to go be in somebody else's band. And then you kind of left for a while. You took a hiatus. It looked like the, around the end of the 80s or so. For what, is it about 10 years? You were... More, more or less, yeah. yeah. What happened? Yeah. What, what made you just put everything down? The 80s thing was so weird because going into the 80s, early 80s, mid 80s, the independent music scene was so cool and so much fun and so many people, you know, interacting and, you know, doing it for art's sake and fun's sake and whatever's sake. And then towards the end of the decade, the major labels had seen, you know, they had sniffed a little success out of, well, a lot of success out of REM and thought, Oh, well, we, we need to get over here and, you know, co-op this stuff. And so it went from being like this really fun thing to like a bunch of people talking about trying to get record deals. And as far as the business end of it, I had, you know, I'm not, I'm not that guy. I don't know how to do it. And I didn't have people around me who did. 
So it just kind of, after a while, felt like I was beating my head against a brick wall. You know, you, you make a certain amount of progress around progress, and then you just stop. And there just was no logical, you know, and things kind of started going south on me. And so I just, like, decided, you know what, I don't have to do this. And, I mean, I love doing it, and I do to this yeah. day, but I was fine with kind of stepping away and seeing what else fell into place. So it was just like, I'll just go and get a regular job at that point? Yeah, I went back to school and stuff. I wow. taught school for a while. Awesome. and then, But when Susan decided to start playing, you know, I was kind of thinking about it and, it, you know, kind of easing back into it a little bit. But then, you know, because I always say this, I, I felt like I had done everything I was going to do in music. Yeah. You know, there was nothing else I was going to accomplish. But when Susan wanted to do it, all of a sudden, everything I could see, you know, everything happens through a new set of eyes and it's all... You know, so you get to do it again in a way. It's you know, like a reset. <laughs> and so, you know, now I'm just at the point where I love playing music with Susan. So as long as she wants to do it, I want to do it. And if one day she wakes up and doesn't want to do it, then I won't want to probably. <laughs> so how did the two of you meet? <laughs> About 100 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> we met at a fraternity party at a school that neither one of us were going to. Let's oh, go that on. is a great story <laughs> my brother my brother was a was was a entertainment chairman for rush week at uh, Millsaps college the pike house okay and had hired tim's band to play the finale party rush party or whatever and then you know not realizing that the two of us were going to meet he, he asked me to come to the party to, you know, tell everybody how great he was. <laughs> <laughs> You're pimping your little brother. I'm a pimping my brother. <laughs> oh, great. But also at the same time, my parents were worried about me because I wasn't dating anybody or married or, or making grandchildren or whatever yes. you know, was expected of me. <laughs> <laughs> so it was going to be one of those golden opportunities, according to them, oh, you know, that man. I could meet somebody. Well, I met Tim. Yeah, I think they thought you were going to meet some kind of like young Hitler Republican or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he got me instead. <laughs> lucky me. Yeah, oh. like, all the luck in the oh. world. <laughs> that is awesome. So you ended up pulling Tim back into music. What, so you, you, literally it was just like you woke up one day and just decided you wanted to play bass. I did. And, That's and awesome. It literally, I don't know if I was dreaming it or what, but it literally felt like I had been struck by lightning. Wow. It was like, that was a, it was a aha moment. You know, I want to learn how to play bass. And you'd never, written, <laughs> you'd never written music before. You hadn't played music since you were a kid. Wow. Nope. So, so she started playing bass and then eventually started singing and then started like handing me, you know, <laughs> little post-it notes with lyric ideas. And, <laughs> and, you know, the more she did, the better it was. I mean, it's because Susan's a great singer and a great songwriter. Oh, and, yeah. So what was the first song you two worked on together? Real Bad Habit. Wasn't Real it? Bad Habit, yeah. Yeah, that's on, yeah. That's on my album, Concrete Dog. This was basically the birth of Tim Lee three, right? Well, it was, we were, I was still making solo records for a minute there. They were called Tim Lee records, but it was a band. And then okay. we ended up kind of stripping it down and it became a three piece. And so we called it the Tim Lee three. And oh, then, okay. then when Susan started playing drums, we narrowed it down even more. Just two people. And, uh, <laughs> and then Bark was born. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you got you to gotta kind of stop now. The, the more you, the further you go on, the less people are in your band. Exactly. <laughs> I think Susan's going to fire me eventually. <laughs> <laughs> you both have your own solo careers. No, that's true. Yeah. I'm just around to carry the drums. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I really enjoyed about Tim Lee 3 and, and Bark is that 
it actually kind of has shades of of the windbreakers, but there's more in the rock vein. You know, less REM, more drive by truckers. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like like the song uh, "What I Have Not Got" is my yeah. favorite example yeah. for that. That song yeah. is yeah. kick ass. Definitely got more of a of a southern rock feel in in the drive by truckers vein than uh, the REM yeah. jangly yeah. pop sound of the of windbreakers. But I still hear a connection to it, so I really yeah. like that you, you're kind of bringing all your experience into well now bark. Yeah, yeah. that's what just the idea is. You everything you do, you want to bring it all together, and you know your influences come from everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I. Tim Lee, you, you guys put out a, a several albums. I mean, I think Tim Lee 3 was together for what, about 10 years or so? 10 years, 10 right years. at 10 years, mm-hmm. yeah. What made you decide to play drums? Was, <laughs> was it the same thing? You just woke up one day? Yeah, like, crazy woman, what was it? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, actually, I mean, I, I, 10, 10 years ago, I, I started having some health issues that were, that were causing problems with playing bass. Okay. And I needed to stop playing bass, but I was not ready to stop playing music. So um, our drummer at the time in the Team League 3, uh, Chris Bratta, also taught kids drums. Oh. Uh, He taught kids how to play drums. And I was like, oh, if you can teach kids, you can teach me. (laughs) And we did. How bold. Um, I know. How bold of me. (laughs) But, But he agreed to teach me how to play drums, and he... He taught me how to read charts for drums. Um, I'm not sure I could do that now, but this this was 10 years ago. Yeah. And it was the kind of thing where I, I, you know, you, you, you can, you know, hit out the notes that you're looking at on the charts and stuff like that. But it wasn't until you sort of have a, an aha moment when you're like, oh, my God, I know what this is supposed to sound like, you know, and you start hitting it like like you have a rhythm now and. And it was it was really really cool when that happened. It was like, oh my god, I can do this! Yeah. You know? Six months, I was on stage playing drums. That's your that's your threshold. All you got to do is do something it for is. six months. It and, is. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> I thought about you were not only playing drums in six on stage in six months, you were playing drums and singing, and singing. at the same time. I have seen some of the live clips on YouTube, and I that it was so impressed me because. I can barely walk and talk at the same time. And, you know, you got. Well, I, I think a lot of it comes from um, singing and playing bass at the same time, because bass is essentially, sense. you know, it is it is is melodic and rhythm at the same time. Mm. So learning how to to sing and play bass at the same time sort of took care of it. You know, when I started playing drums, it just it just singing just followed naturally. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. So when you picked up... okay. Going back a little bit to the pick up the bass initially, mm-hmm. did you decide? Well, I'm going to sing at the same time too, or was something singing something that you did throughout it was, anyway? It was no, it was not. I mean, I've, I've I've sung all the time, you know, just to the radio and to records and stuff, but never seriously. And so I think it was it was in the, we were in the studio um, 
uh, recording something. Or, um, well, we were probably we were recording concrete. Concrete dog, dog yeah. And the the guy who was a, a studio engineer, Don Coffey, said said that I needed to start singing, and I'm like, mm, no, not me, no, not me. <laughs> And and they were like, yes, yes, you, yes, you. So well, there was a song that needed backing vocals, yes. and Don was like, Susan, why don't you go try that? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was scared to death. I made Tim come into the the vocal booth with me and hold my hand. <laughs> I was scared to death, you know. And you nailed it. <laughs> I did. I did. But you know, I don't. I don't have high expectations for myself. <laughs> <laughs> so when. Bark starts. Was Tim Lee three finished? I mean, was there a clean separation between the two or a line of demarcation Bark, between the two? No, Bark started out as a side project. Okay. And so we were doing both for a couple of years, probably. Yeah. And because Bark's about to hit our 10th anniversary in the spring. Yeah. But, wow. Um, so, yeah, we just we overlapped for a couple of years. But it, it's got a point where having two bands was just just kind of managing the affairs of two bands. Not just, you know, like if you book a lot of Bart gigs, you feel like Timley 3 is being ignored. You book a lot of Timley 3 gigs, you feel like Bart's being ignored. Da, da, da. And so we just decided it was a lot, you know, as well as things were going with the Timley 3, you know, we just were ready to kind of concentrate on Bark and uh, make that our thing. And, and it, pretty much has been for a while. I mean, we played on other people's records and, you know, we always collaborate with other people and have yeah. you know, people collaborate on our records, mm -hmm. but, you know, it's just easier to play with, you know, two people who have the, who live together and know each other's schedules. And yeah. yeah. It's very easy to travel together. Oh yeah. yeah. I'll bet. Like you said, yeah. there's, it's, it's so much easier when you can just turn around and say, Hey, what are we doing next weekend? Instead yeah. of having to yeah. contact somebody else in the band. All five people. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> so how did you guys choose the name Bark for the band? As I recall, Susan, we started playing as a two-piece, and Susan said, oh, by the way, the band's going to be called Bark. <laughs> I, I don't know why. And, and I said, okay. <laughs> I think at the time we had a lot of dogs in the house because we were we – were, um, fostering for uh, Belly Rub's Bassett Rescue Group. Oh, wow. <laughs> Bassett, ha oh my gosh. I yeah. can see why you named yeah. it Bark now. Yeah, yeah. We have a 15-year-old Bassett hound in the house barking at us now. Yes. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> I've got an eight-year-old, um, what is he, Australian Shepherd boxer mix just waiting to get oh, out. Oh, wow. The yeah. most nervous dog on her. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's actually like he doesn't care about anything. He's just like, like if he wants to be petted, he'll come over and let you pet him. If, if you don't want to be yeah. petted, he'll just walk away from you. <laughs> he's yeah. Just, yeah. He's hilarious. I love him. So I went back and listened to a bunch of the older bark material. And there is some amazing stuff in there. The, the sound for me kind of gets a little bit bluesier with bark uh, compared to Tim Lee three. And mm. The Terminal Everything album really spoke to me. It was amazing. I mean, you were talking about some of the uh, collaborations you, you've done and Apocalypse, Ship, uh, Apocalypse Shimmy with Black Atticus. Yeah. Amazing. And I absolutely love one of my favorite songs of any Bark album I've heard is Chimneyville with uh, Mike Baghetta. Mike Baghetta. Stuck to the pavement when you cross the
Mike's been on the podcast, and he, I love the guy. Oh, cool. He, he's, a he's a good guy. friend. Yeah, he is. His, he is. His, wife, his wife helped save our dog's life when uh, he had to have an emergency splenectomy. Whoa. Mike's wife is a veterinary. It's like one of the top veterinary experts in the country. Yeah. Oh, she's my. a total badass. Gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 She's awesome. Now I know. He's awesome, the... too, but she's awesome. Yeah, she's a lot <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, okay, so now. The name Bark is, is, there's even more behind it now. Yes. Yeah. So, and one of the cool things I discovered is that Terminal Everything won some recognition from the Mississippi Institute of Arts and Letters. What, can you tell me a little bit about what that institute is and what the recognition you guys earned was? Well, they are a arts organization that recognizes Mississippi artists, not just musicians, but uh, visual artists, writers, poets. But they have two musical categories. Yeah. One is contemporary and one is classical. classical yeah. And okay. So, yeah, when that record came out, we were nominated for the contemporary and were voted. I mean, well, it was, it was a judge who, who judged it, but we won over, like, some pretty impressive like North Mississippi All-Stars and Kingfish and Wow George Cartwright and you know we didn't think we stood Molly a Thomas like really amazing yeah. artists yeah. we got nominated we were going like well that's awfully nice we got nominated <laughs> we're gonna get no way we're gonna yeah. win yeah, and, uh, you can always put the nomination on your resume but, <laughs> yeah but winning yeah. it is something else that's amazing it's very cool yeah, apparently very the cool. judge thought we had the better songwriting so that was the because it's music composition is the is the actual category. So oh, okay, uh, you know. So I'm not disagree with him. No. <laughs> Nor should you. <laughs> and now there's there's four COVID stained years between Terminal Every Terminal Everything and Loud. Was this album written during that, or was this done post COVID? We started writing the songs prior to COVID. So because okay. some of those songs. We were actually playing out while we were still kind of promoting Terminal Everything, which, of course, in the middle of promoting Terminal Everything, playing gigs went away. Yeah, the world <laughs> shut down. It happened and everything stopped. So. so, But we lived in, you know, we lived in the same house. We had rehearsal space in the house. And so we were able to continue working on songs. And so the rest of them were written... It was probably half and half before and after, but yeah. we actually, we were still living in Knoxville, Tennessee at the time. Oh, okay. But we came to Water Valley, Mississippi, where we live now, and recorded a couple of times during there, like doing the sort of a pod with just the people at the studio, you know, right. and so it, it worked out great because we had not worked with Matt Patton and Bronson too and Schaefer Yana <laughs> before, and so... There were people we knew and wanted to work with, so it just was a good time to do it, and it ended up being a lot of fun. And yeah, it was a good a good thing. Working through the pandemic, did did that change how you guys did anything with the music? Because you're already living together and spending as much time as possible together. Did everything was uh, the writing process? Did that just kind of keep going the way it had been, or did did it change with you know the world falling apart? Well, through the pandemic, Tim actually still continued working. Still yeah, went to went to work every day. Yeah, yeah my job. Um, was. His job Same was here. still yeah. His yeah. job was still happening, so he went to work, and I was freelance working from home already anyway. So it really nothing really really changed all that much, except that we couldn't our, go out and play. Except we and, couldn't go and, out and play. Yeah, and I'm a guy that goes out and sees live music all the time when he's not playing. Yeah, and yeah. couldn't do that. So. I'd say as far as the songwriting, the thing that changed was just that we weren't, you know, road testing the songs when we wrote yeah. them. So we probably yeah. spent, well, with Terminal Everything, we started spending more time on the arrangements of the songs and trying to find the best way to do them, or as Susan says, let the songs tell us what they need. So we probably did more of that during, you know, during the pandemic where, you know, it's not like, oh, let's work this up and we'll play it next weekend. It's like, oh, let's, we'll just keep working on it yeah. for a while. And <laughs> we'll fine tune it a little better maybe and all that. So that's, I think that's the only thing that really changed there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We, you've got the new album Loud out and I, I have been listening to it a lot and I've got, I've got some questions. All right. <laughs> 
<laughs> first, we probably have bad answers. That's totally fine, absolutely acceptable, and encouraged. Good. But the first thing I want to ask you about is the only cover on the album, James Robertson Must Turn Right. I absolutely love that song, and I didn't know it was a cover when I first listened to it. James Robertson must turn right, or else there's gonna be trouble. James Robertson must turn right to find his way back home. I couldn't find another version of that, but it was written that by exists. David only, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where, how did you guys find it? And, and <laughs> is it, it, I guess the reason I'm asking is because there is a strong CSNY Ohio feel to it. <laughs> and I was just, I really wanted to hear the original to see if that's something that you guys put out, put together, or if that was the way it was originally written and CSNY kind of, swipe that hat what is it like what well so you know david was a good friend and we played some shows with him and he was a great great supporter of ours and um you know he he died on stage at the uh the 38 the 38 songwriter festival early 2020 and the the afternoon before he played that show and died, he did a, like a webcast thing down there. And I just happened to watch it because it was David and he played that song and he, he'd never recorded it. So he played it there and, oh, and wow. just him and an acoustic guitar. And that's where I learned it. And then we just took it and started playing it our way. Oh, and wow. Then the version on the record is pretty much just the way we play it, except, um, Jay Gonzalez from the Truckers played accordion on it. Oh, cool! That, that was only real overdub on that song, except Matt, well, Matt Patton added some backing vocals at the end of the song. But other than that, that's pretty much how we do it. That, it, wow! That kind of that that really blows me away. <laughs> that's amazing. So there's no other recorded version of that. Not that I know mm. of. Yeah. Oh, cause I, I did, did that, did that, um, podcast or that, that stream, whatever it was he did, did that, is that available somewhere? It probably is. Yeah. You know, but the, uh, but you know, summer before last we played and we were playing in Nashville and we played that song and, and David's wife and daughter were both there, oh, which wow. we didn't know. And then afterwards they, they introduced themselves and, and they, they loved it, and they gave us their blessing to do the song. So. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So wow. Cool. The next track that really just blew me away was <laughs> Rock Club. <laughs> I love that song. It's that's got, a fun song. It's, it is. It's got such a, this great, like, dirty stones feel to yeah. it, and it, and it just matches the lyrics to it. I love it. <laughs> behind that or because it's a it's a great it's great lyrics lyric writing i love it you know i i think i'd been just sitting around playing that riff and i was like oh well this and i never start with music i always start with words but okay i was playing that riff and and i just you know i think i literally sat there and thought and it was probably during the pandemic when you couldn't go out and you couldn't drink too much in public. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, 
you stay up too late, you drink too much, <laughs> too many long nights down at the rock. It's like, that's what I miss. That's what I love. <laughs> and so it started out as sort of a letter to myself. <laughs> um, nice. And then it just kind of took from there. And then we got together on it and finished it out and worked out the arrangement and stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, because I, again, I, I'm, you know, a hundred years old, but I still love, <laughs> I love being the old guy at the back of the punk rock show on Wednesday night, you know, with yep. 20 kids. I, I love that energy. I, I love the excitement of people making racket together. And yeah. um, <laughs> it doesn't have to be great. You know, it can, it's just gotta be, it's just gotta be, you know, honest or something you know as long, yeah. as long as there's that energy and excitement then i'm all about it and you know when i was younger of course i thought i knew everything about music and i was super judgmental and and i just uh, uh, you were? i know what you mean yeah and i just refuse <laughs> to be that way now like i don't even like to give my opinions on most music because it's just it's pointless they're my opinions they don't they just shouldn't mean anything to anybody else exactly you know? Exactly. I know exactly. I feel exactly the way you do. It's I, and I keep those opinions to myself as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. Nobody wants to hear them well, anyway. We share, we share opinions. Yeah. Well, well, well yeah, we, we'll say stuff to each other. We won't say to other. We'll, we'll talk smack <laughs> among ourselves, but that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you guys sound like so, me and my wife. There's a lot of, well, I would never say this to anybody else, but. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know my wife and I are this exact same way. Yeah. But you know, I, but it's funny. I was at a show not too long ago and, and it was a band that somebody had asked me to go see. And, and, and the thing is, I immediately saw that I was analyzing it and trying to figure out what the deal was. And that immediately told me that I wasn't really feeling it. You know, yeah. I wasn't enjoying it because I was sitting there going like, well, it's the, you know, and I'm, and immediately I'm not having fun if I'm analyzing some music. Yeah. <laughs> And somebody can ran up to me and like grabs was like, what do you think? And I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's when you break out the, not bad. Well, and I was like, I think I said, yeah, they're good. Because they were good. They were great. But I yeah. didn't feel a bit of it. And, yeah. and they were like, what do you, do you like it? And I'm going like, I like it fine. <laughs> Get out. And I, you know, I can't, I I can't lie that much. Yeah. I like it, it more it, than I don't like it. But it was a band that was like super confident and totally tight and really entertaining. And I didn't feel a thing. And yeah. so it was, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's on me, but oh, I, I just, I can't stand it when people like corner me for my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I get it. Well, one of the, the things that I thought was really interesting is that certain songs like Radar Love, mm -hmm. your your voice, it's a, a dead ringer for Tom Petty at times. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, anybody, yeah, anybody who came along in the South in that era probably has some of that. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay. I understand I'll that take too. That as a compliment, and it's meant as one uh, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah I'll take. <laughs> Fly in. Under your scope, like a reporter, I got the dope. Hey, wanna meet me down at the bar? I just wanna be on your radar. My cloaking system is fully intact, like a librarian. And I think I absolutely love so much time because yeah. I love the way it ends. It sounds yeah. like every, the whole entire song is just kind of melting into itself. It's just yeah. such a, a cool way to end the song. It's, I love it. It's so awesome. I
Yeah, and that was very much, you know, a mixing thing. Yeah. Bronson and Matt were kind of, we were mixing it, you know. Bronson started going these directions. Matt's like, take it farther, you know. And then between the two of them, you know, because the song wasn't even quite that long. I think he added some of it back in, you know, added some of it back in. So there'd be more space for it to fall apart. <laughs> and all, it was one of my favorite things. I, um, it's really cool. It's, it is. It's, it's one of the, cool. my favorite parts of the album. It just, it yeah. just kind of, it's almost like it just melts together. It's so cool. Now, have you guys been playing live a lot since everything has opened up over the past year or so and, and gotten back into the swing of things? We did for a while there. Like we started out this year playing a bunch the first couple of months. And mm-hmm. then, we've had a lot of stuff happen with like a lot of family health issues and things that have gone crazy. And so until just the last couple of weeks, we had not been playing much. And so, but we've picked it back up the last couple of weeks and we've got, you know, we're playing 20 some odd times between now and the end of the year and, okay, and needing to start looking what we're going to do next year. But, <laughs> but, uh, we just, it took a while to, once we decided, you know, got a plan going for the record, there was a problem with the pressing and it took it. So it threw us off on our timing as far as booking stuff, but we've been back into it and our, we've had like three record release shows and we're having another one this weekend. And, oh, cool. you know, just having them in different places and, and they've all been really good. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do you guys kind of stay regional or do you venture out to like, I don't know, East coast, maybe DC where I'm at? Uh, we venture out, we'll be later this, I have sort of a day gig with a public radio show. That's like a live show. And, and so they do Thursday nights throughout the fall and okay. that wraps up middle of November. And as soon as that wraps up, we're going out for a couple of weeks. And I know we're going to, I think we're going to Richmond and Baltimore. Oh, cool. Yeah, and so and we're going all the way to New England. Oh but, wow, way up to New Hampshire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think we're going as far as New Hampshire. Oh my gosh! So yeah, we're we're not afraid to get out there. It, it just timing has to work, and and you know we do everything ourselves pretty much. So yeah, I mean Matt, that uh, Dialback Sound is really good about helping us with dates that we can't get on our own and stuff. But uh, oh, cool. It's uh, yeah, so it's you know matter what we can pull together. We were. We were branching out more into the Midwest prior to the pandemic, and we had gigs we had to cancel there, and mm-hmm. so we got to start rebuilding that again. Yeah, <laughs> we've been out west once, just to, you know, playing shows with friends out there. So. Do you? Uh, well, I guess I guess maybe the best way to ask this is: Is there anything on the new album that you guys are like? I we're not playing that live because that's too complicated or anything. Is, is there anything that it, on the album that it is just? couldn't possibly make it to a set list or is everything fair game there's nothing on that record that we haven't played live at least once true oh cool like the very yeah. last song i think we've only played it once because it's a real slow song and there's yeah and when you generally only play like 40 minutes 45 minutes there's only room for like one slow song and, <laughs> and we have three or four that we really like so we we will play one for a while and swap out for another one and so that one we we were we played it I remember playing it at a house concert right before the pandemic. Yeah. I don't think we've played it live since then. But at some point we'll probably start working on it and and swap it out for whatever slow song we're doing this week. (laughs) I I would love to hear float live. That, oh, we always we play all, that one. We've oh, been playing good. that one for a couple yeah. of years, probably oh. since the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we, oh man. So that one, yeah. That one's always in the set list. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good because that's a that's just one of the best songs on the album. I love that. That's oh. a great. Thank song. you. How can they pick up the album and keep track of, of tour dates and upcoming events? Well, our website, uh, bark-lab.com, there's, there's a calendar 
on their tour date, a tour date page that has a calendar on it. Okay. You can buy it at band, buy the records at Bandcamp. Uh, it's a uh, bark dash bark <laughs> dash loud. <laughs> dot bandcamp dot com wow yay why <laughs> <laughs> well, i let her talk i could never get that out <laughs> and and um you can buy directly from us at cooldogsound.com do you guys do much on social media instagram or x or whatever the hell twitter is called now <laughs> We, we, I've kind of taken us off of Twitter more or less. The account's still there because I can't, I can't kill it. So, I know what you mean. <laughs> um, it, it, it wouldn't let me. The, like, like the, oh. the site wouldn't let me kill my account. And I'm like, Jeez. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> we're on, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Okay. Uh, we're, we're on the whole people platform. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're on, <laughs> I'm on, I'm on threads, but it's not, it's not like a, band page on threads or anything like that i have no idea what to do with threads I, I, the podcast is on there but i don't really yeah. post it. it's just basically like instagram twitter yeah. well it, it really is and i kind of i kind of um the thing that i the thing that i you know i had my my feed on twitter curated such that i was reading about art and news and the weather yeah and and then i had a whole section of this, this is getting really nerdy, but, <laughs> but when you're on the road a lot and, and you get stuck in traffic and you don't know why you're stuck in traffic, okay? Yeah. The best thing that ever happened on Twitter was the uh, 511 accounts, which are official highway department accounts uh, on Twitter. Wow. And so they... And I, and I just, I started finding them, you know, first there was a, a Knoxville one and then I realized there's a Tennessee one. And then I realized that there was states all over the place that had 511 accounts. I didn't know about Twitter. this. And they, you know, if an accident happens, it's on Twitter and they tell you what, what mile marker it is, what time the accident happened and how long it's going to be before it clears up. And that wow. is the greatest information ever. Yes. <laughs> that, oh, I wish I knew about that beforehand. This, that, oh my gosh. So that's, the, I, I've hated, I hated to give up Twitter, but I just had to, I just had to. <laughs> and I've been waiting on threads for like some of these 511 accounts to show up. And I, I don't know. You know, it was just, it's just so frustrating when you get stuck in traffic and you don't know why and how long you're going to be there. I know. You, know, you can look for alternate routes, but you take an alternate route and the accident's going to be cleared out in five minutes, then, you know, yeah. that was dumb. But, or everybody well, else takes the alternate route and then you're still stuck in traffic. Exactly. So. But see, so I'm, I'm the navigator. He drives, I navigate. So. <laughs> <you know. laughs> well. I just I love this album. I love the sound of Bark. I love what you guys are doing, and I'm hoping I can come see you guys when you come to Baltimore. Richmond's a little too far. That's like three or four hours away, but Baltimore is like an yeah. hour and twenty minutes. I can make that. So cool, cool. The other the other thing is that during during the pandemic, uh, Tim wrote a memoir. Oh, really? And we published that a couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Is that it's still up. available? Yeah, it's called I Saw a Dozen Faces and I Rocked Them All. <laughs> Subtitle, The Diary of a Never Was. <laughs> oh, God. So, we'll send you one of those, too. <laughs> I would love that. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure speaking with you guys tonight. Thank you so much. It was much. a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. Fun. Oh, my pleasure. And hopefully we'll, we'll meet up in person in Baltimore. I hope so. Yes. You chase down someone else's ghost to explain away your past you really think you got something but nothing ever lasts you want to be somebody
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 